You're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the show. This is Richard Zink, and you're listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 98, and it features a discussion with the Safety Working Group about their new edited volume, Quantitative Drug Safety and Benefit Risk Evaluation, Practical and Cross-Disciplinary Approaches. In this episode, I speak with James Buchanan, Judy Lee, Melvin Monsaka, and Bill Wong. I hope you enjoy the episode. Note that the 2022 workshop takes place September 20th through the 22nd in Rockville, Maryland. It sure looks like we'll have the opportunity to be together in person this fall, so keep an eye out for registration in June. And as a reminder for these discussions, please note that people are sharing their personal opinions, so please don't overinterpret their comments as representing the groups or organizations with which they participate. Now let's start the show. Hi, folks. Today we are talking about safety. I'm speaking with James Buchanan, president of Covalance, Judy Lee, senior director of biostatistics at Bristol Myers Squibb, Melvin Monsaka, senior director and head of safety statistics at AbbVie, and Bill Wong, executive director, clinical safety statistics and late development statistics at Merck. Thanks all for being here. Thank you for having us. Yeah, um, and just to point out before we get started, uh, the four of you are co-editors for the recently published book, Quantitative Drug Safety and Benefit-Risk Evaluation, Practical and Cross-Disciplinary Approaches. Um, so congratulations on the book. Um, hope you've uh, had some good responses to it so far. Thank you. Thank you much. Let's learn a little bit about each of you. Um can you describe your current role for us and, and how your career came to focus on the topic of safety? Uh, Jim, why don't we start with you? All right, thank you, Richard. Yeah, so currently I'm uh, one of the co-chairs for the working group as a whole, uh, and I also co-lead the task force on interactive safety graphics. Um, I've been in safety in the pharmaceutical in industry for a little over 30 years, got my start uh, many moons ago at Genentech, which is where I really learned about safety, safety surveillance and such, and kept uh, kept on the safety track uh, really through my whole career uh, up until the point of being a safety consultant. I remember back at Genentech, I was baffled by what a safety signal was. And uh, here, 30 plus years later, I find myself you know, teaching about safety signals and then uh, with uh, Dr. Lee, Dr. Mungtung Lee, uh, authoring the, the chapter on sitting detection evaluation. So it's been a, a long thread through my, my uh, history. You, you are not a statistician by training? No, um, not a statistician, uh, but uh, more the safety clinician, if you will. So I represent the clinical side, uh, and my stats colleagues uh, balance it out on the other side. Okay. I, I just wanted to... Um 
to bring that up. Uh, I think most of the time we talk with statisticians here, but we're always excited when non-statisticians want to come and uh, talk with us. <laughs> so thanks for being here. Judy, uh, how about yourself? Sure. Um, Judy Lee, uh, currently a senior director and biostatistics lead at Bristol Myers Group at San Diego site. Um, I manage a group of biostatisticians supporting the late phase drug development within BMS immunology and fibrosis franchise. To answer the question on how safety become one of my focus areas, I think it goes all the way to my earlier career life where um, I had the privilege to work at the U.S. Food and Drug Administration, um, the Center of Biologic Evaluation and Research. I was very lucky to be awarded for the FDA Office of Chief Scientist Intramural Grants for two consecutive years to work as the primary PI on projects utilizing advanced statistical methodology to investigate safety profile of patients with certain disease conditions. And my safety projects just spanned from there, I think, from women's health to rare disease, immunology, hematology, and et cetera. It has been a very pleasant, a rewarding journey, and I truly enjoy working on the challenges safety evaluation phases. As far as my relationship to the working group, I think she was the one who introduced me to the safety working group. Then I became the co-chair of the safety monitoring group. Uh, with Bill and later on the merger of the two working groups. I know we're going to talk more about this later, but here I am very happy to be part of the working group. Great. Thanks, Judy. And, and Melvin, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, Melvin Musaka. Uh, I currently work for AbV where I lead a, a group of, uh, you know, sense focusing on uh, safety. I've uh, been in the industry for over 25 years, 10 of which we are really focusing on, uh, you know, safety, you know, uh, within uh, the stats uh, in the setting. I, you know, within the ASA group, I co-lead the Extreme 2 with Judy, you know, where we've done uh, some fantastic collaboration, uh, you know, with a fantastic group of, uh, you know, group of uh, folks very dedicated to looking into quantitative safety. How did I come into safety? Well, you know, in my past life, I worked on several development programs where, you know, things looked good, you know, and then suddenly something went wrong. Some uh, went as far as almost uh, submission. And it always amazed me why, you know, people didn't pick up these safety safety issues. You know, so um, through that experience, I started to look at uh, what can I do to help uh, safety activities. I was very convinced that uh, there was more that, um, you know, citizens could do to help support uh, safety activities. So when um, Takeda, you know, started to start a, a safety stats group, I was very, very happy to join in and, uh, you know, and, uh, you know, start participating in those activities. And uh, when Abvi, you know, also had a senior opportunity, I jumped onto it and uh, really liked working on safety, collaborating with a cross-functional team. So um, I enjoyed doing that work, and uh, here I am. Great. And last but not least, uh, Bill. Yes. Uh, thank you, Richard, for this opportunity. Uh, for myself, uh, as you said, I'm currently uh, the executive director for clinical safety statistics and also the late development statistics, particularly focused on the Asia-Pacific region. I've been with Merck for 20-plus years. Uh, most of this time, I've been really working on late development 
in terms of design program, doing clinical trials, submitted. And particularly, I have a period of time I got a, you know, assigned to the Asia Pacific region. I work in that region for quite some years. I got some opportunity to work on the multiple multi-regional clinical trial, the ICHE 17. Actually, we had a podcast a few years ago, Richard, you may remember on that topic. Uh, but getting back to safety, it's around 2015, Merck decided to establish a dedicated safety statistical group. I was fortunate to be selected to really start that group. And uh, then around 2016, I think we, Chi Jiang and uh, Oga, they initially started the safety working group and Greg Bo and I put a proposal together uh, to focus on the safety monitor. That's really my start on, of working on this uh, ASA safety working group. Then, you know, 2017, Judy and I got uh, voted, elected as the co-chair and the rest become the story. And really it has been a lot of fun, a lot of uh, accomplishment together. Well, great. Thanks uh, to everyone for giving us a little bit of your background. And yeah, through these discussions, we kind of understand that uh, this emphasis on safety and, and understanding of safety uh, is, is really a pretty recent phenomenon. And, you know, safety's traditionally taken a backseat to efficacy uh, in clinical trials. Can you describe what, what has led to these changes and, and this greater emphasis uh, on safety and, and, and understanding it? Well, I, I can, you know, start to share some perspectives. I think at the high level, patient safety has always been on the forefront of the drug development. Uh, but particularly in the last probably two decades, we have experienced drug development. You know, sometimes the drug gets stopped at the late stage, and sometimes the drug gets pulled out of market. So that really raise the question, can we do better from uh, the safety monitor point of view? Uh, so, so really in the last decades or so, we, we have seen a trend of moving post-marketing safety monitor to pre-marketing, moving from individual case review to more ag aggregated review using quantitative science, and but also structurally look at the safety and it's really a major part of the benefits risk evaluation. Uh, I have to say the regulators play a major role in this. They have issued uh, really different guidance, and those are really the major driver uh, for safety become a forefront of drug development. Jim, maybe you can add from your perspective. You know, you're you're absolutely right. Um, you know, safety did sort of take a backseat to efficacy analysis for quite a while, and I remember years ago at one company, drug safety was known as the Department of Sales Prevention. But I think we've gotten a lot more respect over time um, as, as things have evolved. Bill's correct. A lot of this has been driven by the regulatory landscape. Um, FDA you know, came out with the guidance in 2015. It really encouraged the movement toward aggregate analysis. And that was reinforced yet again last year uh, in the FDA guidance that, that came out. So clearly, the regulators have been encouraging companies to think about their data in a more aggregate fashion. And within the industry, there's also been a trend away from just single individual case safety report analysis and those, those SAE reports to a shift toward a more aggregate analysis and also a shift from just 
looking at safety when the database is closed at the end of the trial to bringing that process up forward so that there's more of a regular ongoing analysis and in some cases even real time. So it's, it's been a gradual shift and a lot of it's been encouraged by the regulators, but I think the safety professionals um, and all the people working in, in drug safety have recognized that there needed to be a shift so that we could identify safety issues earlier and be able to uh, introduce mitigation efforts as soon as possible. Thanks for those thoughts. And safety analyses themselves have uh, numerous statistical challenges associated with them. Uh, can you briefly describe some of these challenges? Well, let me answer that, Richard. So, you know, as you are aware, when it comes to clinical trials, out-of-trials are really designed to assess efficacy. Uh, so once in a while, we do find a trial uh, that is, uh, you know, targeted for safety. But when you look at the trials themselves, there's lots of data collected, you know, to look at safety. And uh, this, for example, leads into some stat challenges such as uh, multiplicity, lack of power. And in addition, just looking at safety data itself, you know, it comes in several domains, and typically you'll be looking at more than one data domain to address a safety issue. And in addition, there are many cases where, you know, there's not even any kind of planning, you know, safety issues just, um, uh, you know, appear as you're looking at the data, and then these need to be addressed and put into context. I want to echo what Melvin just said. So, so in practice, the usual approach for safety data analysis involves the comparison of the proportion of subjects who experience an adverse event between treatment groups for each event. And then by doing this, it could be a large number of analysis which inadequately, uh, with inadequately with statistical power and no meaningful type one error can show. And this could end up with false positive results. Lately, we actually have seen an increasing request from the regulatory agencies for uh, using advanced statistic modeling to analyze and compare adverse events. But the small, I would say the small number of events make the modeling analysis rather challenging. And, and in addition to that, I will also say for complex study designs, especially those with the efforts on advocacy pooling the safety data, to provide an interpretable analysis could also be challenging. So you're all members of the ASA DIA Safety Working Group. Judy, Jim, and Bill, you've recently served as co-chairs for the group. Why was it so important for the American Statistical Association to partner with DIA and collaborate with clinicians in developing a comprehensive approach to exploring safety? I can start with that. Maybe I'll just talk a little bit about the history and then I'll have Bill and Jim talk more after that. So in the section started a safety working group. Um, I didn't realize it's been such a long time. Actually, it's been more than eight years. Time flies. And at that time, uh, we uh, include active members and advisors from regulatory agencies and pharmaceutical companies. Uh, the funding co-chair were uh, OGA and T. And shortly after that, the safety monitoring working group uh, formed in the fall of 2015 with the mission to help empower the biostatistic community to better enable qualitative and quantitative safety monitoring. Later on, the two working groups actually merged into one and has expanded its work streams and task forces from members purely in the U.S. region to a multi-regional collaboration. Initially, we have uh, three major working streams. 
So Workstream 1 focuses on the interdiscipline safety evaluation. Workstream 2 focuses on the safety monitoring statistic methodology. And Workstream 3 focuses on the integration and bridging of the real-world evidence and randomized clinical trial for safety decision. Throughout the discussions and um, with the advisors and thought leaders, the working group identified that the interdiscipline collaboration is actually so crucial that leads to the partnership of DIA and ASC safety working group. Well, first I want to say that Judy's history lesson bring a lot of good memory back. <laughs> Actually, it, it was uh, it was right. It's uh, started started 2014, and then 2015 we added the safety monitoring piece. Uh, I think it's around 2016. In order to really, you know, uh, focus on those things matters, we did a systematic survey to the industry. Around 26 companies responded to a survey. We also selected, I believe, 20, more than 20 key opinion leaders across different functions, the statistician, the clinician, the pharmacopoeia, epi, and we, we really have one-to-one sort of like interview. And through those uh, systematic survey and interview, there's a couple of major pillars we call came out. Uh, once they say you do need to uh, pay attention to Data, the quality of data, the intelligence data architecture. And the second, they say you have to have a good analytical methodology and tools, particularly they focus, they, they talk about visual tools. I hope Jim can talk about some of those things we have been working on. And then they also say you need to have, think about good processes. And these are some of the reasons we work on some of the process initiative. But the last thing they really focus a lot is what Judy just mentioned, interdisciplinary collaboration, interdisciplinary scientific engagement. I think that really was the major driver for us to think broadly. And that's why uh, around the later part of 2017, we started talking with the DIN safety community. We established a really good partnership and then a lot of things came out of that. And maybe Jim, you can give some good examples from those efforts. Yes, absolutely. I think uh, the Interactive Safety Graphics Task Force is an excellent example of what can happen when you use an interdisciplinary approach. And I've been a member of DIA for years and years, certainly longer uh, um, before I joined the ASA group. But uh, in the case of ISG, uh, Interactive Safety Graphics, we were interdisciplinary really from the outset. Um, so there were safety clinicians, there were biostatisticians, programmers, data scientists. We've got people from uh, certainly the industry as well as FDA and then even some uh, academia folks. So it's, it's a broad swath of talent that we brought to bear. And where it became really apparent why this was so valuable is because we each bring a unique perspective to the approach. Our first project was to develop the uh, Hepatic Explorer, which is an interactive version of the uh, classic EDISH plot. And so the, the clinical folks brought to the table the types of clinical questions that we really wanted to see if we could address. 
And then the statisticians and the programmers and the data scientists, you know, told us, you know, what, what could be practically done and how to approach data visualization and what were the sort of tools that you could uh, bring to bear on this. So, for example, we wanted this to be free and open source. And so, you know, they suggested that we used R as the platform. Um, and then, of course, we paired the tool with a clinical workflow uh, that the clinical folks had crafted together. And so it really was a beautiful marriage of, of all the talents of all the individuals to what we think is really a very successful and useful uh, tool now for the safety folks. Thanks for sharing that example. And much of the recent effort of the scientific working group has resulted in the edited volume, quantitative drug safety and benefit risk evaluation, practical and cross-disciplinary approaches. So what was your vision in developing this book? The initial idea started around early part of 2018. I think at that time, our working group is already very productive. We have, you know, presentations. We have, we have given short courses, and we also start writing papers. Uh, we got a lot of encouragement and good feedback from the larger scientific communities. So there's a natural question, how we can better reach out to the community uh, in a more organized way. And this is when the, I, the idea of having a book but targeted for a broad audience, not just statisticians, but clinicians of the larger safety community came in place. And we started initiate the contract, uh, I think towards the later part of 2018, we had the contract in place with the Chapman Hall, the biostatistical series. And the real the work, the writing, uh, heavy part of the writing really the later 2019 and 2020 and 2021 so it's uh, almost took sort of uh, more than two years uh, almost three years to finish the the, the book and uh, i mean looking at the final pro- product uh, i'm really glad we took this effort uh, you know we definitely can get more into the content the other thing that we actually tried to do was uh, you know initially clearly the focus was uh, where, um, you know, being statisticians, we are comfortable presenting at uh, staff meetings, but we kind of realized that uh, we have to go beyond uh, the staff forums and look at uh, other audiences, you know, and um, we went ahead and said to present uh, this information and uh, these ideas to non-statistical audiences, you know, other companies like um, Drug Safety, you know, share these ideas, uh, particularly the focus on uh, quantitative element of safety, you know, um, and these were very well received actually and some of my experiences there was uh, you know the pull, you know called out in some of the best sessions in some of those meetings with lots of questions you know um that came in and uh, i'm proud to say that uh you know through that work we have become um, pretty popular so we now get very frequent requests you know from those organizers to actually go present to those teams these ideas so that's a really good um to me um a good offshoot of uh, sharing this uh, knowledge outside of the stats, uh, you know, community, but uh, to a broader, wider community. I remember that when we first discussed about the idea of putting together a book, summarizing all the good work the working group has done in the past few years, everybody just got so excited. I saw their eyes light up. Um, and then we become so motivated. We really feel that writing the book is such a good way to share knowledge and research experiences to the bigger audience 
throughout the statistics and safety community, which is also a good reflection of the mission of our working group. We actually spend a lot of time discussing the book cover. At the end, I feel the vision of the book is really on the cover. Where yes. If <laughs> talk about our work on you for the book, book cover, maybe as a, some sort of a, a attachment, a link to the podcast, because that clearly shows that we are thinking about quantitative science, but also medical science. So you have the sign of quantitative and medical on both sides, but we try to fit them together. And but also it's in the global context. Yeah, that's a that's a really great point, and uh, it is a it is a really nice cover. Um, yeah, I do really like it, and uh, it's a fascinating look at how long uh, the book process is and getting uh, a number of people together and, and, and you know getting them to contribute to a, an edited volume and what were some of the major focus areas of, of the book and and can you describe how this book may differ from past books on safety yeah you're right I mean there's certainly been a number of publications in in this space um, and we didn't want to just simply rehash what's already been out there so let me, yeah, let me give you an idea of some of the areas that we cover. And, um, the book comprises really four separate uh, sections, if you will. So, for example, the first part covers the regulatory landscape and interdisciplinary collaboration and safety evaluation. Um, there's a number of chapters in there, but I think a couple that really stand out as really being distinctly different is the one on the aggregate safety assessment plan. Uh, this was one of the deliverables from one of the task forces, and this is a very forward-thinking approach to planning for drug safety uh, really early on in, in the development program. Um, there also is a chapter on safety signaling and causal evaluation, and this takes, I think, a new approach to, to really giving a practical uh, framework for both signal detection as well as uh, evaluation. The next section covers statistical methodologies for safety monitoring. There's a, a number of chapters in here. One that really stands out for me is uh, quantitative methods for blinded safety monitoring. So if, if there is more of this shift toward an aggregate uh, safety assessment and doing so on a more regular basis, often this is during the period when the trials are still blinded. So how do you approach that? And this gives, I think, some very practical uh, ideas for that. Uh, the third section, design and analysis considerations and randomized controlled trials and real-world evidence for safety decision-making. Uh, also, we've got multiple chapters here, but I think one that also stands out uh, significantly is uh, the one that's describing the Sentinel system and how that is being used for uh, real-world evidence generation. And the final section is safety benefit risk evaluation and visualization. Um, and we cover a lot of interesting ground here, um, but one of the chapters deals specifically with estimates in safety. And for a clinical safety audience, um, the estimate concept is something that's relatively new. We certainly had it for a while in our approach to uh, efficacy evaluation, but it's something that the safety clinicians really need to, to understand. And I think this chapter helps um, bring that introduction to bear very, uh, very importantly that way. Another big consideration of the of uh, of the book really is and uh, focusing on uh, what are the practical things one one needs to think about when doing actual safety. 
but not only covering one part of uh, the development, but from start to you know to finish. So, kind of covering a wide spectrum of uh, you know of uh, uh, drug safety, you know, across the, the entire life cycle of uh, you know the drug. And again, you know, uh, looking at uh, as uh, Jim pointed out, really this you know cross-functional collaboration being at the center of uh, you know you need to bring both the clinical discernment, but also the statistical element. And then that coupled with the programming, the right tools to you know, to use, and that calls for you know really thinking through what are the questions you are asking, you know, and what are both clinical and statistical, you know, and what kind of outputs you are going to use to help address those questions. So, the, being very practical and on how we do safety has really been center of uh, of uh, what we put in the book. Yeah, thanks for uh, sharing those thoughts and. Uh... Jim, that's an interesting perspective on S-demands. Um, I, I think we're still uh, trying to figure it out on the efficacy side as well, but <laughs> uh, I, I think we'll all be more comfortable with it um, maybe by the time we all retire. But um, uh, glad to hear that there are some topics on S-demands. Um, and you mentioned in some of the, the chapters the uh, challenges in assessing safety for clinical trials in conjunction with real-world data sources. Uh, can you describe what some of those challenges are? Yeah, so uh, before I answer the challenge, let me step back a little bit in terms of the, on the high level, the difference between the safety evaluation uh, versus the efficacy evaluation is that uh, the efficacy typically are more kind of focused more direct and in some way are linear from proof of concept to the confirmatory. But safety really started even very early on in animal toxicity, in early clinical, then in the you know clinical development, and but they never finish it to post marketing. So it's a holistic, it's interactive, but also it comes with different data types. And one of the two data types is randomized trial, the randomized clinical trial. This is uh, in particularly in the pre-marketing stage. And then, you know, you also have the real-world data, uh, particularly in the post-marketing settings. But really, there's a lot of information there. So the key opportunity there is how to really take all those in information in and try to, you know, help the decision-making and try to make a good sense out, out of this. That's the reason why we actually started, this, this is a, towards the late part of 2019, a dedicated work stream on the RCT and RWE integrations. And uh, some of the challenges we have been working on is uh, when you have that different data type, how would you handle the analysis? How would you adjust for the some of the potential confounding factors? Are there better you know, methodology to work with it? And then also for the more uh, randomized but real-world trial, like programmatic trial, how would you better kind of make it the design to really account for all the potential factors but still be able to derive causality statement? And similarly for the real-world data, and uh, you know how would you can prospectively plan for the analysis? But then when you integrate them together, what are the potential issues and so that you can make sure at the end it's valid to integrate the decisions to make sense. So those are some of the challenge. 
And not to mention this, this issue of big data, the volume data, or the veracity of the data, but also the speed of the data. Those are the, the challenges. And if I may just uh, take it from there, you know, uh, rightly put, you know, you have um, these data now becoming bigger and bigger of different data sources. And with that, obviously comes, uh, you know, difficulties in data quality, you know, along with, uh, uh, you know, uh, processing, you know, lots of missing data, different data standards, you know, all of which render, you know, lots of difficulties in actually processing and analyzing. So you spend uh, quite a lot of time just trying to get the data in the shape that you're looking for, or maybe the data you're looking at isn't really set to answer the question that you're trying to address. So all these, uh, uh, these uh, you know, considerations make uh, these other data, you know, very challenging. And also um, sometimes, you know, it may lead to some challenges in the interpretation of uh, the analysis. So, um, you know, if with that lack of uh, quality, and also lack of missing data might render itself somewhat difficult to really draw some reliable conclusions, you know, once you are done with analysis. Thanks for those thoughts. I'm, I'm sure the, those methods will become more important as uh, we see more and more real-world data used uh, in submissions. And another topic you brought up was estimands, and there's been interest in estimands for the last several years probably more so on the efficacy side. Um, but when discussing safety endpoints, what are some of the key considerations when defining estimates and, and which approaches are typically recommended or, or have you seen in practice? I think one of the most important considerations is to define clearly and accurately the scientific question of interest that the clinical program is trying to answer. I know it's a bit easy to say, but it's actually not that easy to implement this in real life. And it requires some real deep thinking and collaborations between especially statisticians and clinicians. So putting the right question down uh, prior to the study of study will directly affect all the attributes of estimate, such as treatment, population, endpoint, intercurrent event, and summary statistics, et cetera. Um, and this, this is the same um, problem or LSA issue actually applied to both efficacy and safety, like Richard just mentioned. I think the same challenge lay here, if not less, for, for the safety estimate. And in terms of the most used strategies, I would say I have seen that treatment policy and well on treatment, the most common strategies for safety evaluation that I've seen. So I want to first echo what Judy said and also emphasize that's a very critical point that the estimate framework can really help us to link the clinical question of interest to the actual quantitative analysis. So it will really help us to work with other cross-functional team, the clinician, the safety physician, and statistician together. And for that, I think this is really true. This principle is really true both on the efficacy side and on the safety side. I know even though there's a, really a lot of discussion on the efficacy side, but I would first say this should also apply on the safety side. This is particularly true when you have a safety hypothesis. And then in that case, all those different components, different attributes will come into play 
And even beyond that, even for without a hypothesis, it's just estimation or even just a descriptive. It's still useful to have thinking about what are the really the the the, the values you try to estimate, and whether there's there's a potential kind of intercurrent event that may impact that. Then what is your summary metrics? It's a per percentage, or per, you know, it's a exposure adjusted. Then you know, sim, you know, a lot of times uh, this strategy coming, like Judy said, the uh, you know the wire on treatment strategy. Or sometimes we say while on risk strategy, where you you look at not only the number of days we take the treatment, but additional days where the you know the the drug may still be in your body. So this is the so-called while at risk strategy. So I think we have the uh, different chapters cover this idea. This including our the ASAP chapters or chapter two. And there's a uh, you know a few paragraphs we talk about how to use uh, estimate in the interdisciplinary collaboration, but we also have a dedicated chapter, I believe it's chapter 13, where we get a little more into the estimate on the safety side, but also the estimate on the safety and benefit risk side, in particular, how do you pair up the estimate consideration on the safety and Efficacy, so you can do a meaningful benefit risk evaluation. Thanks for those thoughts. And you were able to cover quite a lot of topics in this book, but were there any areas where you were didn't have room or, or weren't able to identify um, authors uh, to create chapters for this current book? No, you know, as, as comprehensive as the book is, um, there's there's still a number of areas that the, the working group is. Uh, Developing ideas and techniques and so forth that didn't have a chance uh, to to find a way into the book. Um, I can give you some examples in, in Workstream One, for example. Um, you know, we have task forces uh, that is dedicated to developing a benefit risk assessment plan. So, kind of along the lines of the aggregate safety assessment plan, but this time focused on benefit risk assessment. Um, that group uh, had just recently formed when we started this project. And so really their work wasn't mature enough uh, to find its way into the book. Similarly, there's another task force kind of parallel to the benefit risk assessment uh, planning, and that's the benefit risk assessment tool suite. Um, these are a number of visualization tools uh, that will eventually be uh, migrated into the platform of our interactive safety graphics, but they will help support the benefit risk assessment plan. So those are two areas, two task forces whose work, as I said, we're not quite mature enough yet uh, to get their way into the book, but we hope to give them some publicity later on. Uh, Melvin, I know you have uh, some ideas on some of the other work streams. Yes, yeah, indeed, uh, Jim, as you pointed out, uh, you know, you know, whenever you're working on a book a chapter or a book in general, you don't have enough, uh, you know, space to say everything you want to say about uh, a particular topic. So there were a lot of topics that we did actually you know, include that we would have loved to include, including doing some really deep dives on some of uh, these topics and how they work. You know, so um, one of the popular topics now, I don't know whether popular is the right word, one um, methodology, I should say, that is gaining lots of, um, you know, interest in how it applies to safety, particularly with the influx of big data. You know, it's machine learning and artificial intelligence. 
So definitely that's one of the things that we'll be looking into, you know, uh, you know uh, as one of the future topics. We'll spend more time into the methodology and how it works, along with uh, looking at uh, tool sets. You know, and um, as, as mentioned earlier, this is one topic that we really want to, you know, to push ahead and uh, do more work uh, in the future because we didn't get a chance to cover it uh, in, the, in, in any of the book chapters. Well, we'll just have to, to wait for volume two um, or the second edition to, to get all these other topics. Um, but, um, yeah. yeah, yeah. What's, you know, for, for individuals or companies looking to develop a comprehensive approach to safety, what, what recommendations do you have? Yeah, I mean, our book really have quite a few chapters cover this. Uh, you know, how do you kind of work together, and particularly in section A, the first section, the interdisciplinary section. Uh, you know, like I mentioned, uh, safety is really uh, holistic, it's interactive, it's from end to end. So one of the things come out of our working group is to really having a strategic planning, we call aggregated safety assessment planning practice. And so our chapter uh, two uh, really dedicated to that. And in that we talk about different component and, uh, and you know, how do you prepare? How do you identify gap? How do you think about estimate as, it, as I mentioned? Then how do you even think about ongoing monitoring? How do you think about further communication of that? So we truly believe a more holistic, proactive, aggregated assessment planning is the way to do it. And this is not only in the book, it's also published uh, in one of the peers article uh, last year. Yeah, and I, I would add to Bill's um, comment about having the frameworks in place and, and those being some of the deliverables of the working group. Um, but you can also then think about the tools that you want to have available to you to help search through the data, to do that signal detection and evaluation, for example. You know, in, in the chapter on signal detection evaluation, we, we talk about some of the tools available um, and certainly point to the open source tools that the Interactive Safety Graphics group has, has produced. There's a number of them, in fact, and in the beginning, we focused pretty much on various ways of looking at laboratory data, because that can be one of the most challenging types of reviews. You get these enormous laboratory data sets, line listings, they're very tedious to go through, and you need an efficient way to go through the process of, of looking at your data. And so the tools that we have uh, available in this open source manner help the clinician and the, and the data science scientists you know, to, to do this more efficiently. And the other beauty, I think, of this is, is that using these sorts of tools on an exploratory basis can then point you in directions of inquiry that really benefit from a dialogue between the clinician and the statistician and, and the data scientist. And so we hope that also further cements this interdisciplinary approach as, as being the best and most efficient way to move forward. I know you have something you want to add to that, too, I believe. Yeah. Very much carrying on from what you just said, Jim. You know the the whole idea of uh, you know in the past, you know, it was almost uh, the sense that uh, there was you no know, silo of statisticians and uh, clinicians not working together for safety. But really, you know, uh, 
get this to work, you really need to have that uh, cross-function or collaboration. You know, um, if possible, have some champions in the different groups really, you know, uh, you know, harnessing and promoting this collaboration. And to my experience, been that, uh, you know, regular joint meetings, you know, are very helpful to discuss uh, safety issues where we have got, uh, you know, the clinicians, and this is in the same room talking about the same safety issue. But from a point of view of actually managing this, uh, you know, this work, you know, uh, and making sure that there is a structure put in place, there's always uh, the sense that uh, if you don't do this in a little bit more of a structured scenario or setting, you know, you, you will not succeed. People are still burning silos. So there's really need to also engage uh, you know, everybody, including management, to actually help promote uh, and foster that collaboration. And that is what can be that can help uh, to really foster you know that uh, work on safety to go a long way, you know uh, through these uh, you know great problems between the different uh, cross-functional groups. Judy, want to add? Yeah. Summary. Everybody else just said. I would just say, go and read our book. <laughs> um, I think our book really provides a good resource for both theory and open sources uh, as well as the tools. And as Melvin mentioned, the, the second volume will also provide some of the code. So it, it, it will really help with this from a different perspective. And then the, if it, one more thing I, I, I can add on, it just, I, I would say to plan earlier, um, to, to think about others ahead of the time, but not wait until last minute. And also collaboration between statistician, physician, and safety group are very crucial. Thanks for sharing those thoughts, and I, I'd like to, before we sign off, I'd like to talk a little bit about the, the future of the working group. Um, what, what's next for you guys? Yeah, so let me start very high level, then I'd like to have Jim, Marvin, Judy talk about some of the work we are really thinking for each uh, work stream. I think one of the things we are very proud of, we actually not only have done a lot of good work, really have created a good kind of governance structures. Uh, so we have, uh, you know, every year we elect, we have so-called co-chairs, and then we have different work stream, have co-lead for each work stream. We have a good way to enroll member. We welcome new members to join us. And in that, uh, we sort of each year, we look at what we have done, summarize, then we look at what we can do next year. So we have done that really in the next few months, particularly for 2022 and, and, and future. So maybe we'll have Jim talk about Workstream 1, then uh, Marvin and Judy talk about Workstream 2, I can talk about Workstream 3 and uh, other efforts. Thank you, Bill. Yeah, Workstream 1 uh, has great plans actually for this year. Um, the Aggregate Safety Assessment Plan Task Force uh, successfully published uh, their first manuscript last year. And, this year, they plan to follow on with another publication that really speaks to more of the practical implementation of the ASAP. In terms of the interactive safety graphics, uh, we've completely revamped the platform. We're on now platform 2.0, and this will allow us to do a lot more interesting things with the graphics. We uh, already have plans underway to develop a, a QT prolongation and other ECG analysis tools. And we're working on this in collaboration with the Cardiac Safety Research Consortium. We have plans for a renal explorer to look for instances of acute renal injury. Uh, and very shortly, we'll have a, a volcano plot, an interactive volcano plot available as well too. And then the other task forces I had uh, previously mentioned is really not uh, 
having uh, uh, sufficient uh, output to put in the book yet, but we're very encouraged to see how fast the, the benefit risk assessment plan team is moving forward, as well as the benefit risk assessment tool suite task force is moving forward. So we're looking for great things from them this year as well, too. So we're looking for a very productive year. Nice, nice overview of this Workstream 1. So for Workstream 2, our vision of 2022 will be continue developing some of the materials that were not able to be included in the book due to the space limit. And I know Melinda mentioned that a little bit before. And besides that, we have a brand new initiative this year also, which is to focus on the benefit risk analysis in the multi-regional clinical trial settings. Uh, we also have other focuses. I'll leave it to Melvin to talk about it. Well, as Jude mentioned, yes, uh, and pointed earlier, there's a whole lot of topics. I think I only mentioned, uh, you know, machine learning, you know, uh, but, you know, there are other topics that are, you know, finding their way into assessing safety that would like to do a deeper dive you know, you know, I think I mentioned machine learning. You have got uh, network meta-analysis. You know, that is really becoming a, a very good tool to, you know, to, you know, to, you know, to look at your data as well. But uh, you know, beyond this, there's always um, that consideration that uh, you know people come up with new ideas and new methodologies, and people don't actually use them. So one of the things you are trying to do is that, uh, in addition to, you know, to uh, to these methodologies, we also want to identify what tools are there available to actually apply these methodologies, you know, tools that can be used by both, um, you know, uh, you know, and statisticians, you know, and identifying those that exist or fine-tuning what is already available and also rely on, uh, you know, other, you know, uh, for example, for Extreme One, we have the ISG group that, um, you know, when we are working on a methodology, that we think uh, requires a visualization and was identified that we can always share that with uh, you know ISG to see if they can have this implemented. So you know the big idea of a tool set is actually a big part of uh, how we can get these uh, method methods to be used. So um, the idea of volume two is actually not far fetched. So indeed, we might see volume two down the road of the book. Yes. So we also have a workroom three, which. Uh focus on the randomized and real-world data integration for safety decision-making. So myself and Yang Ma uh, from the, the USFD, and we are co-lead this particular work stream. And we have recently finished our brainstorming for 2022 and beyond. And so for example, one of the tasks was going to dive deeper on how we can use estimates in the observational data space, including the design, including the analysis. Another work stream will look at the real-world kind of trials, uh, including pharmacoepidemiology trial in a multi-regional fashion. How would it be designed? How would they be analyzed? Another task force would dive a bit deeper and further into how we can use uh, machine learning and to, for causality assessment and for some of the more comprehensive uh, benefit and risk evaluation. So there's a lot of excitement there and a lot of interesting idea. Uh, we also uh, have uh, separate from all this work stream for the OCD team, the, uh, the outreach and communication team, and currently is leading by uh, Saurav, Sandra, and Piyosha uh, Tandon. And they, they really have a lot of ideas in terms of further 
communicate out, outreach out our ideas. And we also recently started a scientific seminar series under the leadership of Montan Lee and Susan Mayer. And this is also further to have regular seminars uh, to really not only, you know, for our working group member, but also for people are interested to hear and listen to what we are doing. Uh, but the last, the last thing I want to mention, Richard, is that uh, in addition to the collaboration we established a few years ago with the DIN safety communities, uh, late last year, we actually established a formal PPP, the private public partnership with USFD and the CEDAR and CBER. If you go to their PPP website, you actually can see our working group. The idea is that we can really establish a more kind of structured way of inter, uh, interacting uh, with uh, our regulatory people, uh, colleagues so they can give us a scientific advice uh, so we can work on some of the you know, things we've, we have shared interest. So there's definitely a lot of excitement. Uh, so I really want to say I'm not only very proud of what we have achieved, uh, I'm also very excited about our future. Well, it sounds like uh, exciting times are still ahead. And uh, I want to thank you all for your time today and, and sharing your thoughts on safety and your book. And uh, I, I hope you have a lot of success with it. Thank, thank, thank you. you. It's really nice to be here. And there you have it, episode 98 with the Safety Working Group and their new book showcasing the research they have done over the last several years. I hope you enjoyed the episode. I look forward to our next episode where I'll speak with Amy Lalonde and Christina Nurse. Keep an eye out for that. Until next time.